Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. This Sunday, Hans-Georg Hoprich will continue our preaching series through the book of Acts. Looking into chapter 15, we learn more about the debate on what it takes to please God and what kind of Christians God likes better. As our church even carries grace in its name, how are we responsible to live God's grace and what trials do we face when it comes to grace and religious standards? Join us now for this sermon titled, Grace on Trial. It's good to have these uh, technical things, but when they don't function, you know, you're in big troubles. That's okay. And people around the globe that uh, may watch us, even people from Papua New Guinea at times, they watch us, they will understand because they are just as we people of grace. Uh, And uh, in those days, according to... Reformation period, we're talking uh, about this uh, Reformation uh, period. It had been hidden away for centuries in a damned dungeon of human religion and legalism. In those days, according to the religious higher-ups, human effort was the requirement for salvation. But when the reformers heard the trapped cry of truth, they determined to set free the doctrine of salvation by faith alone. It was a violent rescue, one filled with daring advances and wishes reprisals. Trumpeting the cause, the loudest was, well, um, as uh, we Germans are known to be loud. Um, I know. But there was somebody louder than myself. You wouldn't be surprised. His name was Martin, Martin Luther. He trumpeted the cause loudest. Um, he was a monk of his... This fiery man, Luther's writings, smelled of powder. His words were battles. He overwhelmed his opponents with roaring cannonade of arguments, eloquence, passion, and abuse. Martin Luther and his followers stood their grounds against anyone who opposed the gospel of grace. And between their refusal to forsake reform and the church refusal to abandon tradition, the smoke of church war bellowed thick and the guns of contention blazed blazed red hot. However, Luther's friend and close associate His name was uh, Philip Melanchthon, dreamed of the day when the battle fires would dim and the church would um, uh, hardly or would work on to restore the kind of broken unity of the church. He declared that and and he said, uh, you know, with tears in his eyes as abundant as the waters of this big river where he was living, uh, River Elbe, he could not express the overwhelming grief over what was happening 
in the church of his days. His vision inspired reformers throughout history, like um, the Puritans in England. There was a, a guy, his name was Richard Baxter, who um, uh, he brought up the idea of Melanchthon's desire into a timeless greed that was often and that is often quoted and I want to quote it this morning twice right in the beginning now and also in the end I and I would love you to take it with you because it's too important it's not the word of God very different from the word of God but sometimes people have really God's heart in what they are saying and Baxter he came up with a quote in saying in necessary things, unity. In doubtful things, liberty. In all things, charity. And I would like you to take that with you because, you know, trouble and um, uh, problems that you come across too often. But when you take that with you, unity, liberty, and charity, I think it is worthwhile um, pondering on this. Like Luther, the Apostle Paul also fought for grace. And like Melanchthon and, and Baxter back in England, he longed for unity, liberty, charity in the church. Um, and in my sermon today, I want to ponder exactly on that, how the Apostle Paul achieves both ends. And when some of the Jewish Christian leaders in Jerusalem challenge the salvation of the Gentiles, the issue was Gentile salvation. That was the issue, and it was a hot, it was very hot issue in uh, the church because it came up again and again. Because we Germans are better than Austrians, always. We Philippines are better than, I don't know, you need to come up with some idea. I don't know whether you are better or not. Oftentimes we do compare ourselves. We, you know, look at him. Uh, I don't know, Chinese or Taiwanese or I don't know, Romanians or, you know, we are always better. Whether you like it or not. I mean, this is so deep. Oftentimes we don't dare. And, and you can kill me afterwards or even now. Because we are talking about deep matters, you know. We, we don't talk, it's a scratch the surface, because that's exactly where they had the problem. And we need to dig deeper. What is objectionable about Gentiles believing in Christ anyway? Most of our churches today are made up of Gentiles after all. <laughs> I don't know whether there is a... You know, a Jew here, a perfect Jew. Why was this an issue then? To understand the situation, we must page back to the beginning of Acts. 
and view the event in the book from the perspective of an average Jew convert to Christianity, because that was a big leap, a very big leap. Let me give you some background information. A Jew in that day might have reacted to Christ's last words before his ascensions um, when he said in Acts 1.8 like this, Jesus said, that was one of his last words recorded in the Bible, you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem. And wait a minute, the Jew would say, wait a minute. Um, let's go, great so, in Jerusalem. Well, that's perfect. We like it. Jerusalem first. Now Jesus adds, in all Judea. Well, the normal Jew would reaffirm, good idea, we have <laughs> we're family there. <laughs> Great, let's go. But for a Jew, unfortunately, Jesus adds, and Samaria. Jews would say, Samaria? We don't talk much to those half-breed Jews. Jesus again adds an even bigger dimension. And even to the remotest part of the world, of the earth. Jews would start to get angry. You know, they, the emotions would start, you know. Never, never. We do not associate with those people. There are Gentiles out there. How can we associate with them? From childhood, Jews were taught that under no circumstance they should mix up with the morally unclean Gentiles. Even their culture was off limits. Greek theater or sports, Roman fashions or music, all wars forbidden. Every Jew who became a Christian then carried his kind of separatist attitude into their faith. It first came to surface when we read in Acts 6, 1, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, we read that in, in, in the Bible, the Hellenistic Jews from them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. You know, kind of nitty-gritty of the daily life, you know, came up. And, and that's how it, it, things go. The Hellenistics uh, were Jews. Uh, the Hellenists were Jews, and who had who had come to Palestine from other countries. Although they were Jewish by birth, they were Greek culturally, which the Jerusalem Jews perceived as contamination. So these Hellenists rightly felt that they were being 
discriminated against and that the native-born widows were being favored. Fortunately, this problem was wisely solved and when the church leaders appointed impartial deacons to distribute food. But this incident was just a taste of what was to come. Um, in a vision, Peter, the apostle Peter, saw um, a, a sheet full of ceremonially unclean animals and heard a voice say, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But for kosher Peter, this idea was really a hard, very hard to swallow. But the voice persisted saying, Acts 10, 15, we can redo, not call anything impure that God has made clean. At first, he was kind of confused. It never happened before to, to him, but later it made sense when he watched as we read in Acts 10, 40-40-48, an unclean Gentile named Cornelius trust Christ. And he even received the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine an unclean one? Peter had learned an incredibly important lesson about grace. Surely anyone can trust in Christ. Anyone is without exception. Anyone can trust in Christ and be safe. But the Jewish Christians back in Jerusalem who had not been had such an um, um, incredible vision, struggled terribly with this concept of God's outspoken grace. In Acts 11, we read um, verses 2 and 3, when Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and act with them. Impossible for a Jew. You cannot eat with people like that. It was touch and go for a while, but after Peter had explained God's hand in Cornelius' conversion, his Jewish Christian brothers accepted his testimony and they glorified God, because they could see God's hands even with his, excuse me, dirty, uncircumcised Gentiles. What a movement. So the boiling issue had been contained thus far, but the lid blew sky high more when Paul and Barnabas returned um, from their first missionary journey. And in Acts 14, 27, we read, they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to whom? To the Gentiles. 
unexpectedly. We then read my second point. Uh, there is an internal dissension in Acts, and that's the text for this morning. Acts one and two, fifteen one and two. It says, "And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved." And Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. And you can easily imagine, you know, that's kind of uh, Paul's, Apostle Paul's favor, you know, to debate things. Ping pong, you know, back and forth. And it went back and forth. When the Judean Jews, many of whom were former Pharisees, heard these reports through the grapevine, <laughs> they were terribly troubled. We really need to understand this. And then we understand ourselves as well. As we understand and go that journey with them, we do understand ourselves and hopefully learn something for our own lives. We need to realize that this is a hard issue even today. For the Pharisee, a completed Jew, the Lord was the incarnate culmination of everything he had studied and learned. No need to do away with his heritage. Now he was a fulfilled Hebrew among the still expectant Hebrews. But if Jesus was the Messiah of the Jews, what did he think about non-Hebrews who also became convinced of, this, of his lordship? Now, the Christian Pharisee had a big problem. Conditioning and cultural pride flowed in his bloodstream. His people had paid a high price to maintain their uniqueness. They fought for it constantly. He was not willing to give away the centuries of particularism that had made Israel a great people for the Lord to people who did not conform. If Jesus was the Hebrew Messiah, anyone wanting his salvation would have to become a Hebrew first. How else could he know the full meaning and purpose of God? The law of Moses must be maintained as a preliminary preparation to the new life in Christ. These converted Pharisee and their followers were, were not bad people. Their problem was they stood with one foot in Moses' law and one foot in Christ's love. And in between they were kind of cut half. Now the ground was separating beneath them, you know. They had a big struggle with this. They would have to leap one way or the other, but not without a frantic effort to hold back the earthquake and the resulting theological uh, fold. Having tried to, to maintain both 
end. They were ending up with an either or, which contradicted the Messiah himself and his unqualified love for all. Now, surely, having been a Pharisee himself, Paul empathized with them, but that in no way lessened his distress what they were teaching. They were tainting one of Christianity's essential, namely God's pure and beautiful grace. So in order to secure unity in the church, well, they had to fight. There was no way around it. And it's not easy to fight in the church. Fight in the church? Who likes fighting in the church? Put your hand up. So here's another lesson. We need to learn. A healthy fight. Where nobody is a loser. What Paul... Barnabas and the church in Antioch did next was extremely critical. Their decision would affect the entire history of Christianity and determine the way we view salvation today. They came up with a very wise decision. Very wise. Rather than pulling rank as apostles, you know, you could stand to one side but then you lose the other side completely and in between there are enemies. Do you get me? So it was very wise. They were not ignoring the problem. You know, that's what we often say, you know, push it under the carpet, you know. It's better under the carpet and then suddenly, you know, the carpet gets as big and you kind of fall down and then suddenly you are faced to the, you're faced with a problem. No, this was not with uh, Apostle Paul and with Barnabas. They did not expect to go it, to go away, you know, you know, just to <laughs> dissolve. But Paul and Barnabas decided to discuss the issue openly and fairly. The church of Antioch also favored this approach. Um, and we read then in our text in Acts 15, 2 to 3, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. How did the Christians in these cities receive the news of Gentile salvation? That's something we often do and give reports of our co-workers working overseas, how people from all nations 
acknowledge and worship God. This is why mission is in place. World mission is in place because there are too many people who do not worship God, the God of the Bible. This is why mission exists. So when we give a report that people from all kinds of nations, even our, the enemies, I, I don't think we name them, but if people from a nation that I don't like or people that I don't like convert to Jesus, how do I react? This guy? Nah. But here we hear it was with great joy. I love that. Joy. Joy unspeakable. But then a problem occurs in Acts 15, 4 to 5. We read, they were received by the church and the apostle and the elders, and they reported all God has done with them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Finished. That's it. No grace. Can you see? No warmth. No joy. Instead, rigidity chilled the air. Interestingly, through traditionalism forced this issue. The early church displayed a remarkable openness in giving people the freedom to disagree. I like this idea. Debating and finding out, you know, where do I stand? And the, we read in Acts fifteen six, and the apostle and the elders came together and to look you know, not to be blind in that matter. You know, we can blind ourselves to matters. Our daily life matters. We can blind ourselves and even point fingers to those that do it different as we would expect. Not here. They looked into this matter. So the investigation of the Jerusalem Council came about the um, they made a discussion there. This meeting known indeed as the Jerusalem Council and we can outline several positive steps the leaders made. There was a statement of purpose. First, they limited their, their agenda to one objective determining the basis of Gentile salvation. They called it this issue. You know, they put a name to it. It wasn't kind of in between heaven and earth. This issue, you can read this. They also, in verse 2, they called it in verse 6, this matter. You see, they, they were not blinded. They looked into it. This issue, this matter. What resulted from the determination has impacted every generation that day. If they had made a wrong decision, 
Christianity could have died away in a quasi-Jewish sect. Finished. You know, nobody would talk in Vienna today about the gospel. Nobody. Because it's kind of Jewish, you know. It's their way. Look at them, you know. It doesn't affect us anyway. Uh, We don't, um, they would say no. With Gentiles, we would never associate. Or the church could have split, weakening its influence. Or the gospel may not have been traveled to Rome, uh, Europe, Vienna, or anywhere else, or to our ancestors. Never. Um, There was a, a method of discussion. Look, that's so important with issues that we deal with in our church. Here, as you discuss, we've heard that, um, and you've heard that even more, you know, how is beef one and, uh, uh, and Grace Church, how can they get together? There's a method of discussion. The, the way they made their decision was important as the decision itself. The unity of the church was at stake so that had to show respect to both sides of the question. Consequently, they allowed, as we read in verse 7, what did they allow? Well, look in your Bible. You know what they allowed? Much debate. So human. So human. Debate. They didn't quiet it down, no? Much debate. In your churches today, are we as open to differences of opinion? Are we gracious to those on the other side, willing to listen? Really listen? In this Second letter to Timothy, Paul describes the attitude we should have when we discuss controversial matters. He writes, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. We can imagine this was the atmosphere in the council room as the apostle and elders contended for the truth. But suddenly the debating stopped and the room fell silent. When Peter took the stand, he was the kind of uh, super apostle. Remember him uh, Cornelius' salvation, Peter first spoke from personal experience. And that's great, you know. We need to talk of what we have experienced in our lives. And Tim, uh, uh, Peter says in Acts 15, you can read, and brethren, you know that the in the early days God made a choice among you and that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel And believe, and God who knows the heart bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as He did to us. 
And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. And based on that experience, he asked a penetrating question that pointed out to the main problem with the converted Pharisee's position, the law is humanly impossible to keep. And Acts 15, 10 says, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck on the disciples a yoke which neither our forefathers nor we have been able to bear? And uh, we read about uh, the experience of uh, Paul and, and Barnabas. And uh, let's finish as we always do with some timeless principles. Take them with you. And the first thing I want to point out, because oftentimes we don't take this in account, no conflict is ever easy. We have to acknowledge this. You know, we can't just talk around and soften the conflict. No conflict is ever easy. Controversies are difficult to handle and they require sensitivity and flexibility. When we debate with others, we must stay open to different opinions. He will not become my enemy. How do you react to different opinions? Never. I don't want to associate. He's different than me. I don't like him. I don't know how you react. We must stay open and diff to different opinions while holding fast the truth we know. We must wisely distinguish what is essential and what is, is not essential in the faith while maintaining what? Unity and liberty. These are um, tough objectives. But once accomplished, they can bring lasting benefits. Again, no conflict is ever easy. As a result, all conflict, you know, on a positive side, uh, all conflict can be beneficial. Disagreements can be the good of the church. You know, I've oftentimes I've heard that in some of the churches we were working with, hey, the enemies have gone well, we are so released. We are so released. Let them go. Kick them out. Why are they there anyway? But what a taste is left. Disagreements can be good for a church. They sharpen our understanding of truth and chisel away traditions that, that dull our communication of the gospel. A church without questioning people loses its cutting edge in, social, uh, in society and causes its members to become ineffective. We need that. A different view. It's not that we are inviting them, but we need a different view. 
you know, have to, to see a different angle, to see from different and opposing angles. That's refreshing. Any kind, thirdly, of conflict calls for honest appraisal. As a result, the Jerusalem Council, the Jewish Christians had to risk themselves some pretty hard questions. And that's the same with us, you know. Do we really believe in God's grace? That's a hard question. If we believe in God's grace, why don't we communicate it? Are we trusting Christ or our religion or salvation? You know, I'm a Catholic. You are a Protestant. We cannot get together. I'm evangelical, you know. Much better than a Pentecostal. Hey, Pentecostal, get out! Do you see where, where grace is needed? Why can't we accept the Gentiles? Could we be prejudiced? Could we be self-centered? Could we be arrogant? We do must ask ourselves the same questions concerning our modern-day Gentiles. And you may go out from this service and ask yourself, who is my Gentile? I'm a Jew, you know, and a spiritual Jew. Let's put it like that. But look at him, you know. Do we welcome into our fellowship those who look different than we do? Do we welcome into our fellowship who talk differently, that do not have the words that we usually use? Do we welcome into our fellowship who, whose past may be littered, um, littered with failure or sin? Do we welcome divorcees or single parents or rough-edged new converts? Are we willing to listen to other people's opinions? Do we really believe in God's grace? That's the final question. Where has grace gone in your life? It's a heart-searching question. My dear brothers, my fellow brothers and sisters, do we really believe in God's grace? Well, this chapter from Acts is not just about gender salvation. This chapter from Acts is about being open to change. The Jewish Christians knew all only one way to relate to God. That was through keeping the law. But Jesus, Praise the Lord. Christ changed this. There was a, a never known change. Christ came with his love, his unfailing love, and he changed it forever. It's never been the same. Never. His death opened the gates of heaven so that anyone could enter in his name. This threatened the Hebrew believers who enjoyed having an exclusive God. I'm evangelical and it's only the heaven is only for me. 
They need to believe what I believe, and then we share heaven. We put ourselves on the throne, and we think, you know, our decision is God's decision in heaven. My brothers and sisters, we will look around, and some people we think, no. How, God, have you put that person in heaven? And then you start crying, hey, where is my neighbor? He's not there. I invested so much for him. He's not there. It breaks my heart. How do you take to change? Are you flexible when grace makes changes in your own law? Examine your attitudes will change or circling the appropriate number under each item in your life. You know, hot issue. The church leaders want to change the style of worship to make non-Christians feel more comfortable. Is your decision to be resistant or are you ready to um, flexible uh, enough? Um, well, there are lots of different kinds of, of issue with spring or summer approaching. Do you enjoy hosting an annual uh, neighborhood barbecue at your house uh, this year? Uh, be, maybe your spouse wants to invite a completely new family who is from another culture and speaks Little or no German or English is your decision, decision to be resistant? Or are you ready to be flexible enough? Like a greenstone, conflict handled properly can sharpen us. I want to finish with this. Are sparks flying in, in one of your relationships right now? Well, if so, are you ready to describe and talk about the conflict? Recall for a moment, this is what I said in the beginning, in necessary, necessary things, unity. In doubtful things, liberty. In all things, charity. It says in all things. Are you holding to charity as your goal and motivation? What is really going on in the depth of your heart? Now, thinking back of how Paul and Barnabas handled their conflict with a Jewish Christian, in what way can you exhibit the same openness and fairness in your conflict? I don't know the sort of conflicts you are in, and it, it's my prayer that there's a willingness to talk about it, to sort it out. Margaret and myself will be here afterwards because we are outsiders sometimes. You know, it's easy to approach outsiders better. If not, I mean, uh, Theo and Irene are there, uh, Philip is there, and others that may want to listen of what causes a conflict in your life. Are you open to even debate? Talk about it openly? That sharpens your 
thoughts and um, is ready to bring peace into your life, well, thank the Lord for our conflicts. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever th thought of that idea? You know, thank God for your conflicts. It's not easy. It may be his way honing the rough edges in your life and sharpening you to serve him better. Lord Jesus, we bow before you because you showed your face. You, your grace is abound in our lives because you left heaven to bring us into heaven. And in between, Lord, we acknowledge that there are many, too many struggles. Help us to be gracious as you are gracious. Strengthen us with your wisdom and help us to live up to your grace. Oftentimes, Lord, we confess we failed. We need your intervention in our lives. Thank you for the word of God that is opening our minds and hearts to open up to your grace. And your grace is sufficient. It's never ending. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you bring in people from all nations into your fold. We are exciting to listen to all these stories. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is enough to bring people in from every nation, tongue, and life. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your grace. Thank you for this very special time of fellowship as we get together to celebrate your grace again through bread and wine. Thank you for your presence, your healing presence. Lord, heal our wounds. Thank you that we can present you with our wounds. But there is no need to hide them away because you know them anyway. Thank you for being with us even during this week and the days to come. Thank you for your grace that we can learn lessons from you. You are so different. God, we praise you and we worship you for your loving kindness never ends. We glorify your name. In Jesus. Amen.